0: Amen, amen. Well, welcome to church here today. We are actually continuing forward in our series, This Wonderful Life, and uh, I'm a little sick, and so I'm actually on the upswing. I'm feeling better, but uh, I I got no voice left, and so uh, we're actually going to be sharing a message that I preached about 30 minutes ago uh, here on the screen and so you're going to get a taste actually of what our 11 a.m. or 11:30 gathering has uh, experienced every week and so we if you don't know anything about that gathering it's everything else is live except for the video teaching and so that's going to be on the screen here in just a minute. And I encourage you, if you've never been part of that before, just kind of interact with what's on the screen. Uh, if it's true, say amen. Uh, if it's funny, you can laugh, uh, take some notes, and just kind of engage with what's going on. And after about five minutes, you're going to forget that it's on the screen. But we are uh, continuing the series forward. You're going to see a clip from This Wonderful Life here in just a minute. And each week, we're talking about a, an aspect of George Bailey's life. That he's experiencing that we also struggle with as well and so why don't you check out this clip
1: hey online family my name is Allie. i'm so glad you're here to join us due to copyright issues we cannot show the full clip but i will be narrating for you this clip takes place at building and Loans, and he says things are not as black as it seems like trying to calm their nerves at this point they hear some sirens they all run outside and look george comes back and says that Potter's going to actually offer money and cash. Um, and then people are demanding their money right now. They don't want to wait any longer. They need it right now. Um, George is trying to explain that the money isn't in a safe. It's a building and loan. And if the community works together, it's been working just perfectly fine. And Potter doesn't have to have his hands in everything. Um, But the people, again, they're just demanding their money. And George is trying their hardest to say, some money is at the Kennedy house so that he can have his house. This is how that works. And it's at um, another person's house. And the the only way that this building and loan will work is if we function this way. And then this man comes and says that he wants his $242 right now. Nothing like that is going to break the bank. And so George says, okay, You can sign this document and we'll have your money in 60 days. And he's outraged. 60 days? That was the original agreement, though. And then this man man comes and says that he just got cash from Potter, 50 cents on the dollar. um, And he got the cash right away. Now people are considering leaving bank and loan and going to Potter to get 50 cents on the dollar, which George is just so saddened by. At this point, George runs to the back, pleading and begging with them to just try and see the bigger picture. He's saying, "If George is saying, if Potter takes everything, he'll take the whole city. If, if the community goes to him, then Potter is going to just ruin everything. So George is pleading and begging for the community to see the bigger picture, reminding them that when Potter was doing rentals, he was charging them way too much, and he had no mercy, cared no mercy for the community. All he cares about is money, and he's not selling, but he's actually buying. George is undoubtedly frustrated. The people are not getting it, but he's just trying to plead with them. If we stick together as a community, we can get through this. Please try to see the bigger picture with me. And then this woman is um, saying to him, Um, My husband hasn't worked in over a year. What am I going to do without money? How am I going to survive? And then the last thing that is said is, how will we live?
0: Well, hey, let's celebrate being at church together this morning. So good to see you. I am just glad to be together uh, with you if you're online. We love you, online family. And uh, I'm excited about where we're going here today. Financial anxiety. I'm telling you what, this movie came out a long time ago and it couldn't be more relevant than it is today, right? Like, I mean, this is certainly the place that many people have found themselves in over the past few months is a place of deep financial anxiety anxiety, right? And this is actually a, uh, a current mental illness. It's a diagnosable illness that you can actually have mental anxiety from financial anxiety. And so I would say that in the room here today are probably a lot of people that have experienced that. And maybe you're feeling that uh, here this Christmas season. Uh, you're feeling anxiety about can I get enough gifts for the kids or, you know, can I pay the bills and still get done what I want to get done. And we have all absolutely been there. Um, I, I was reading this week that the cost of food is up 10%. I think the cost of gas is up like 400% or something like that. It's been insane. And uh, I saw this quote floating around uh, uh, social media this week. Uh, can we put that quote up here? Just a heads up, if anyone is wanting to get my kids a Christmas presents, they like groceries, electricity, and water. So I like that. I think that's true. Just, uh, just get the kids what we need, right? Groceries, electricity, and water. And uh, in this movie clip, what you see is uh, a lot of, of fear, right? People just wondering, running around in fear. You've got George Bailey, who owns the bank, and uh, the bank is, is in threat of going under, and everybody's wondering uh, about their money, and they're just scared, like they want to get what's mine. And I think that's a, that's a phrase that kind of describes how we live in this world. We live in a protect what's mine world, don't we? Like, I want to protect what's mine. It's important, you know, like I want to hold on to my finances, my money, protect what's mine, but it doesn't just end there. I think also we live in a world of gotta have more, don't we? Like protect what's mine, that's good, but we also don't want to stop there. We have got to have more. There was a Christmas a few years ago, and I'll tell you, my kids and our family, we've been blessed to have presents at Christmas, but You know, have you ever felt like it got a little out of hand, maybe that one year? There was a year where I felt like the presents were a little out of hand, where we we were opening presents, and Grandma and Grandpa had gotten them a lot of gifts, and we got them some gifts, and man, it was just like the tree was overflowing, and about halfway through opening the presents, everybody was getting so grumpy that they hadn't had breakfast, we had to take a break. Like, you know you went overboard when you have to take a breather halfway through opening the Christmas presents. We took a break, got some breakfast, came back. And I was just like, I I feel like maybe this is a little bit too much. I don't know uh, how you feel personally when it comes to those things. I know everybody's at a different place uh, when it comes to finances, but I, I was reading through some interesting statistics about money, because we do think money will give happiness, don't we? To to a certain degree, and and studies are are showing that there is a level of happiness that does increase with money to a certain degree, which is funny. You're not supposed to say that in church, but there is something about your happiness that is connected where um, if you you literally can't survive financially, you do struggle to be happy. But this was interesting. A 2010 study out of Princeton University found that there's a correlation between happiness and wealth to a point of about $75,000 a year. When people make more than $75,000 a year, their happiness doesn't increase. In fact, the study goes on to say most of the people's happiness actually decreased. So you hit a point of uh, an average American salary, and then at some point, you start to kind of decrease, and, and, and the money doesn't provide you what you hoped it would. In 2011, about $200 million was spent annually in the U.S. to build storage units. In 2018, Americans spent over $5 billion dollars on storage unit construction. Listen, I I think about that. Like, we have so much stuff, we need to buy stuff to hide our stuff, right? And to get our stuff stored, that's a big deal for us. We're so addicted to more. This is interesting. Every American could stand under the rooftop of every self-storage facility at the same time. Like, we could actually fit. We could all fit in our storage units. Uh, There are 300,000 items in the current average American home. That's a lot, you know. Like, that's a lot to keep track of, 300,000 items. Uh, the average size of the American home has nearly tripled in size over the past 50 years. So certainly we are a culture of more. This is interesting. For us as Americans, currently the, the 12% of the world's population that lives in North America and Western Europe account for 60% of private consumption spending while the one-third living in South Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa accounts for only 3.2%. So I think we can say at a base level, we like to spend. And this last one's really important. According to a recent CNBC article, 90% of Americans are stressed about money. So you have two kind of conflicting realities, right? This feeling of like, man, we, we just... We just want more. We, we, we need more. Like, we have to get more, and yet we have a lot, right? There's so much that we have. Like, we're stressed about money, and yet we actually consume and spend more money than most of the world's population. And I think for most of us, we think that there will come a point where we don't want more anymore, right? Like, at some point, we can reach this point where we don't want more anymore anymore. But until that point, I think we just continue trying to get more. And, and the thing is, most of us would not consider ourselves to be rich. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands in church, right, if, if you feel like you're rich, but I would guess that most of us don't feel like we're rich. But the reality is, based on a world standard, most of us in this room, we are rich, like, like loaded rich. And if you're like, I don't think I'm rich, here's a couple signs. So you might be rich... If you have already bought Christmas presents for a pet this year. Anybody? Anybody in the room? No? Okay, so I'm just saying, I'm just saying, if you're already buying presents for your pets, you might be rich, right? There's just something to consider. How about this? If you pay extra so that you can watch TV shows without the annoyance of commercials, you, you might be rich, right? If you pay for the streaming service, because you're like, I just don't, like, who got time for commercials, right? You just might... Be rich. That's just a sign. If you've ever, and I'm not calling anybody specific out, if you've ever gone to your closet full of clothes and said these words, I have nothing to wear. Amen. Amen. You might be rich. (laughs) You might be rich. I'm just saying, like, these are signs that you might be rich. Can I just be really honest with you? I will tell you, I believe most of us in the room and watching online. Are rich, we just suck at it. We just really suck at being rich. Like, we don't really know how to be rich, and we don't know how to manage the things that God has given us. It's interesting. If you want to open your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 6, there's a lot in the Bible about being rich, and I know when I start talking about money, it's sort of like one of those sermons where it's easy to kind of you know, bow out, and you're just going to disconnect, or maybe you're like, we're going to take a couple weeks off of church, and I get that. We're going to need room on Christmas Eve anyway, so that's fine. But I, I know that this topic makes people really uncomfortable, but it doesn't have to. Uh, Jesus talks about money about one-sixth of the time, and so I'm way under par. By the way, you're going to have to forgive me. I'm working on it. I'm a work in progress. But if I'm to preach like Jesus, I'm going to talk about this a lot more often. But this is such a big deal, and this is Paul writing to his apprentice, Timothy, about how to, how to help people when it comes to their finances. Like, how, do peop, how to help people to, to see their money. And he says this in verse 17, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So here's what you need to know. If you're here today and you're like, okay, sounds like I might be rich based on God's standards, based on, on, on a global standard, maybe I am rich. You need to understand this. There is nothing wrong With being rich. There's nothing wrong with it. There's no shame in having resources. There's no shame in, you know, going to your closet and going, I have nothing to wear. There's no shame in that. The question is, how good are you at being rich? How good are you at at living this life out that God has given you? The resources that He's handed to you. Are you good at it? I, I will tell you, this is something we have to learn. Um, we actually had a conversation at our dinner table last night. I was talking to my daughter who's turning 16 this year, and I was like, hey, do you know what a budget is? Because I want to start talking with them about making a budget. And she's like, I don't need a budget. You're my budget, right? Like, <laughs> you take care of everything. And I said, well, that's great, but you're going to need to do this. And so I just told her, like, hey, we're going to sit down, and I need you to start to think about what it's going to cost to live. Like, when you finally move out, what, what, whatever that looks like, you need to start to, to see the costs incurred so you can start to plan for that future. We actually uh, had a small group that we started a few years ago with a bunch of young 20-something couples, and um, we were going through a financial series, and I just asked them, like, how many of you have ever made a budget? There were, I think, 12 couples in our living room, and only two of them have ever made a budget. Just, just as simple as, like, do you know it, that what comes in is more than what goes out? And they were all kind of like, we've just never done this. Which made me realize, like, this is not something we talk about enough, it's not something that we're teaching our children very well, it's not something it's society that we do well, right, because all of the media just says, you know, there are no commercials that are like, you should be on a budget, like, let me help you budget your money so you don't spend too much. It's all just like, more, 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 right? For our kids at a really young age, we just taught them a very simple tool, we got them three mason jars, and it was the give, save, spend uh, set up, right? So one jar is give, one jar is save, the other is spend. And so 10% give, 10% save, and, and then 80% spend, right? And so at a very early age, our kids are learning this stuff. I feel like that puts you like ahead of 90% of America if you just do those three things, right? And, and it's, it's not as complicated as sometimes we make it. How good are we at being rich? I know when I was a kid, Man, I started my relationship with money young. And all I knew when I was a kid was uh, that I wanted more of it, right? Because I had all the things that I wanted, right? I wanted the Nintendo, right? I wanted the the Sega Genesis when it came out. You know, I wanted the Game Boys and the things like that that back in the day were super cool. And man, I, I knew I wanted more. That's all I knew. And I will tell you, I think that's, for a lot of people, that's all we know. Is that I don't know what to think about money. All I know is I want more of it, right? But here's the deal. It, let, let's, let's just say everyone in the room is rich. Let, let, let's, say, let's say God would look at you and say, this scripture is for you. Command the rich. Who's that for? Let's say it's us. If that's us, then this next scripture should ch- send chills up your spine. And here's what it is. Matthew 19:24. Jesus says this, again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus has this rich man who comes to him and asks who can inherit the kingdom of God, and he he tells him, if you know the story, to to go sell everything he has and give it to the poor. He, He doesn't do it. He walks away very discouraged. And Jesus essentially says, there are vulnerable people in our midst. And some of the most vulnerable people in our midst are not the poor, but the rich. It's interesting, like the poor have a certain vulnerability, right, because of their physical needs. And, and, and as, as people, we should try to meet those needs, but it's interesting. Jesus says, hey, out of all the people that it would be really difficult to enter the kingdom of God, who does he call out? The rich. He says, he says the rich are especially vulnerable to missing out on God's kingdom, right? Right? And it's interesting, there aren't too many church ministries of like, hey, we've got our homeless ministry and our rich ministry. Like, we don't have that. But it seems like Jesus is saying, th- this is a real deal. Is like, if you're rich, you are especially vulnerable to miss out on God's kingdom. 1 Timothy 6, 8 goes on and says, But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Yeah, good luck, right? Good luck. I- I'd like to say that's the case, but it's not always the case. And he goes on, He says, verse verse 9, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now listen to this next verse because this one gets taken out of context and misquoted all the time. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So what you see in the Bible is, it's just like warning after warning. And it's warnings for people who have money. And it's warnings for people who want money. And I just, I read this and I'm like, this is me. Not only do I have money, but I also want some, right? And I just think more is better. And I would say, again, most of us have that that perspective. Like if some is good, then certainly more is better and don't we all look at people with money and we go, or with more money than us, and we go, I would do a better job of spending money than they do, right? Like, like you might be the person that thinks if you won the lottery, like you would be so generous, right? Like you'd give so much of it away. We all think that we are going to be the ones that do a better job than anyone at being rich, but the Bible warns us of riches. It's like, be careful, I think I think like he understands the anxiety that this can produce when this becomes a god in our lives. When we worship our finances, when, when we get our peace from you know how our our money is doing. One of the things uh, I love to do in Alaska is hike and uh, just experience this beautiful place. And I remember our first year here, I encountered a sign on the trail that looks something like this. Have you seen this before? And uh, this is a very common thing in Alaska in the summertime. You will come up to a trailhead, and you will see a danger bear in the area sign. Typically, it will have, like, some, some writing on it that says, like, hey, on this date, you know, May 15th, there was a bear sighting, The aggressive bear coming through the area. Like, be careful. People will say, like, this is what's gone in the area. And when you see this, if you're smart, you go get a coffee, and you cancel the hike, right? Like, if you're smart... You're like, okay, this is a warning sign. Like, like don't just go through it. And I remember, uh, this was like 10 years ago, we had this Crow, Plat- Crow Pass hiking trip planned for our student ministry. And I was leading it, and I really didn't want to cancel it, but there had been a bear sighting on the trail, and then like a few days later before we left, we heard that, that, that there had been like an aggressive bear, they had to like put the bear down, it was crazy, um, and, and everything said near the trail. And I'm like, well, h- what's near? Like like 100 yards, a couple of miles, like what's really near? So we decided to cancel the trip, which was wise. Like, I, you know, I didn't want to do it, but I canceled it. And then a few weeks later, we went on the trail, and I will tell you that that bear was right on the trail. You could see where the bear had been like pulling out roots and the ground was all torn up, like right on the trail. Had we gone up the trail, I guarantee you we would have had an encounter. And I just, I think... How often do we hear warnings and not heed them? How often do we see a warning and we're like, yeah, but that's not for me, right? That's probably a warning for someone else. And so here's my question. When you get your paycheck, I don't know on what day of the month you get paid, you know, 1st and 15th or whatever, but when you get your paycheck and you see the dollar amount go up in your bank account, do you get this feeling of like, overwhelmed with, oh my goodness, this could destroy me. Of course you don't, right? You're like, cha-ching! I got money in the account, right? Nobody gets a check in the mail or sees their paycheck come into their account and goes, oh I should, I gotta sit down, I gotta sit down, like, I don't know, I'm, I'm at risk. All of a sudden I feel extremely vulnerable, Like, things could go terribly wrong right now because I just got a paycheck. But if you read the Bible for what it says, that's how you should see it. And again, not that we should live in fear and not that we should avoid the things that God is handing to us. Again, there's nothing wrong with being rich, but if you read the Bible, if you looked at your paycheck, you would go, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm especially vulnerable at this moment, You see, I think we get cozy with our money and we start to just build a relationship with it and it starts to carry a burden in our lives and a weight in our lives to control us and give us so much fear and anxiety. Why do 90% of Americans deal with anxiety because of finances? Because we don't listen to God's word when it comes to it. We don't really see it for what it is. We've all already been sucked in by it. We've already bought the lie that it can give us the peace we desire, and it never, ever will. I remember uh, watching this special a few years ago about this guy named Timothy Treadwell. Anybody ever remember his name? Timothy Treadwell was this guy that uh, was obsessed with bears, and uh, he was so obsessed that he got to the point where he went and lived with bears in Alaska every summer. So he had these videos that you would watch him literally like just standing amidst this group of bears, and he, he tried to become one of the bears. And everybody was just sort of like, hey, dude, you're going to get eaten. And he was like, not me, right? Not me. I, I'm really good with the bears. I am one of the bears. They love me. He named them, right? Until finally, if you know the story, one summer, him and his girlfriend were hanging out with the bears, and they got ate. Like, like it was on film, and there was audio, and it was it was terrible. And so, Again, this is a situation where somebody, somebody's like, I think I'm going to be the ex- exception to the rule. I think I'm going to be fine. Everybody else, you know, you guys can be warned, but like, I don't need the warning. And I think this is how we are oftentimes with our money. We don't heed the warning. What do these texts teach us about how to be rich? The first is this, being rich can be both an opportunity and a trap. There are good things that you can do with your finances, right? We can help so many people. We can pay to take care of our own family. Like, that's a good thing, right? There's so many things we can do. 1 Timothy 6.18 tells us that God hands us money to do three specific things, and here they are. First, to be rich in good works. So when you have riches, God's intention is to empower you to do good things with those riches. And we know that, right? Like, like when we have money, we can actually help people out. Uh, We talked about um, how we, we sponsor children through Compassion International. We also, many of you gave to the Anemia Project that happened a few months ago. And uh, really good news, I was actually on a call with a group of people from Compassion in Peru this week, and your money is actually feeding kids right now. So praise God, it's happening. Yeah, it's, it's at work. Like, these kids' lives are being changed. Uh, and it's, it's just incredible to see, like, they're getting the nourishment they need because you chose to mobilize what God gave you for good works, right? Second thing it says that your money is intended to do is to be rich in helping others, right? That whatever we have, like some of you this week, like you have a plow because you have money, and so you went and plowed somebody's driveway, right? Because you know, like the stuff that you have, you have a snowblower, you know, you have a a single mom that lives next door, an elderly neighbor, and you went and you, you snowblowed their, their driveway because you have something. And so God gives this to you specifically so you can be rich in helping others and then to be rich in generosity. Sometimes we just need to give people the money, right? Sometimes somebody just needs a little bit of help. Sometimes, sometimes people just need a step up and so we are able to be rich in generosity. Verse 9 goes on, it says, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And this is why, this is why God wants to discipline our finances. This is why God gives us rhythms as believers of giving and tithing, so that we can actually discipline that part of our lives. And I I get for, for, I don't know what your church background is, and when I start talking about this stuff, it can be hard to receive, but you need to understand this, God is wanting to protect you. And he wants, to, he wants to care for you. And so, and I've just, I've had to learn this throughout my life, is that the more generous I am, the less money has power in my life. And, and so we use a tool, I want to just give this to you real quick, uh, called the Generosity Ladder. And this is just some ways to start to grow in this area and start to get free financially. And so for you, maybe you're like, I've never given any money away. I've never given to the church. But here are just some ways to start. And so step one is just a first-time gift. Maybe you're like, hey, I'm going to give a little bit of money to serve the mission of God through the church. Maybe you've done that before. Maybe you're in step two and you're occasionally giving. Like, you know, when it's like a killer sermon? Not this one, but maybe next week (laughs) you're going to give, right? and you're going to be really motivated, and man, God, so spoke to my heart, it's so good, and so you, like you write a sermon, like, little little check once in a while, and, and, and I don't know what, what what it is for you, but maybe it's like occasionally, when the impulse hits you, you're going to give, that's, that's good, that's a good start, right? And maybe you're an intentional giver, and so you've set up automatic giving, this is what we've done is automatic giving, so that I never miss it, I want to make sure that um, our finances support the mission of the church uh, consistently, right? Uh, and, and so, So maybe that's you. Maybe you've stepped up into step four and you've started tithing, right? And that's a whole other sermon. I've preached sermons about, you know, the tithe and how we view it as a New Testament narrative and what we see uh, in the tithe. And again, that's a whole conversation, but we believe that Jesus affirms the tithe, right? He calls the Pharisees. He says, hey, you shouldn't neglect tithing, but you also shouldn't neglect justice, right? And mercy and these other things. And so Jesus affirms the tithe. So we say, okay, tithing is a good place to start right? It's a good baseline. God owns everything I have, but tithing is a good training wheels for for starting to live that way. And so maybe you're at that point where you're like, I just, man, 10%. I'm the give, save, spend. I got the jars lined out in my life, right? And then, you know, step five is sacrificial giving. This is really when you get to the point and you say, okay, God, like, it's not so much how much do I give God, it's how much do I dare keep for myself? right? How much do I dare use for myself? And so, so again, that's, that's another level of learning how to be disciplined in this area, and I just, again, I hope you hear that I'm trying to help you, is that the more disciplined you become in this area, the more strategic you become about how you manage your finances, the less anxious you will be. And I want a I I church family with very little anxiety. I don't want to be full of anxiety. Verse 10 goes on, he says, for the love of money, Again, money's not the root of all evil, so it's okay if you got money. Don't feel bad. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people uh, eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Second thing I want you to write down is this. Money is neutral until it has our hearts. Money is neutral. It, in and of itself, is, there's nothing wrong with money until it has our hearts. You see, uh, God has really given us a capacity for two specific loves. And, and, And Jesus, when he's asked, like, Jesus, what is the greatest law and commandment, right? What does he tell them? He says, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. What Jesus is saying is you have the capacity for two loves in this world. He didn't say love God, love your neighbor as yourself, and love your money, right? Why? Because you don't have the capacity for a third love. And anything that comes in as a third love will seek to destroy you. It will steal from the other loves, okay? So God's like, hey, you have the capacity for two loves. Love God, love people, but money wants to be a third love. Money wants to be that third thing that we give power to in our lives. It moves from being neutral to being something that is consuming us, right? Consuming our lives. And that's the point that we know it's becoming a God to us. Now, if I asked you, has, has money become a God in your life? Many people would say no. Or maybe you'd say, well, how do I know if something has become a God in our lives? Not just money, but anything. And here's, here's a few signs. Something has become a God in your life when it brings us fear. Whatever gives you fear also has power in your life. Something's becoming a God when it brings you fear, Right? Jesus is clear, like, perfect love casts out all fear, and that if we love God, we will not have fear, right? Uh, Fear is a sign that our love for God has not been made perfect, and so something has become a God when it brings us fear. Something's become a God when we can't let go of it. Whatever it is, maybe for you, you're like, no, I'm super generous, but it's something over here that I just can't let go of it. Hold tightly to this thing. The third thing is this, something has become... A God when it drives us to secrecy. Anything that causes you to want to hide it uh, has become a God, right? Like it's, it's something that you're like, man, you're wanting to protect it and keep it from other people seeing it, right? Because you know in your heart that this thing has power in your life. And a question for you financially is does anybody outside of your household know how generous you are? Is this a conversation you would ever have? With your close friends? I'm not saying just anybody, but as you come together as a, as a small group, as you come together with people that know and love you, would you ever say, hey, here's how we're doing when it comes to generosity? And if the answer is, Brian, don't get my business, and I would never share that, that's way too personal, then you're probably trying to hide something. And that's just generally how it works in my life. If I don't want to share it with my small group or with my closest friends, I'm typically trying to hide something. And typically it's because it's become something very powerful in my life. Something's become a God when we defend it most violently. If you're just angry right now, it's probably because money is a God to you. It's because it's become something of authority in your life. If you're like, man, I can't stand this sermon, That's great. I get it, I get it. Something's become a God when we are willing to compromise for it. When we know that we're giving up what we should do for it, it's become a God in our lives. Here's one. Something has become a God when it breaks relationships. When you're willing to destroy relationships over this thing. My dad taught me really young. He said, son, never loan your friends money because it ruins relationships. And that was such good advice because I'll tell you what, like, man, it really can. And I'll tell you, like, just real talk, okay, real talk. When I knew I was preaching this message today, and I'm feeling kind of sick, and I, I get that that's not helping, but I was not super excited this morning about my, my the content that I'm bringing to the table. And part of the reason, it's not because of the content, because I think that this stuff is so important. Like, like I really believe that this is something that God wants to break through in our lives, and that money may be the thing that is keeping you from all the things that God has for you in your life. Like, it may be the idol that once God frees you from it, will open up all kinds of breakthrough in your life. So I believe that to, with my whole heart. What I also know, and I've been, I've been a pastor for a little while, I know that, I, I, that, that this conversation can make it awkward. And that I know when I challenge somebody when it comes to trusting God with their finances, that oftentimes, like, they'll lose my phone number, you know? Like, just being really real with you. And I've just seen this over the years that, like, I can help somebody, like, bury their family members. I can be there to answer the phone at midnight to help counsel them to save their marriage. But one money sermon can break the relationship. And and this isn't about my pride. I'm just telling you, like, this is such an idol in our lives that we will break relationship when somebody challenges it. And that's how you can know that it's something that carries way too much weight in your heart. Matthew 6, 21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think uh, we get this backwards. I think we just assume that where our heart is, we'll just, you know, put our treasure. Like, wherever our heart is, we'll just naturally give our money. But I don't know that that's, that's the case. Like, in this text, what Jesus is saying is, put your treasure where your heart wants, wants to be, right? Like, put your money where you want your heart to be, or you'll pierce yourself with the grief of worshiping a God that will never satisfy you. Like, put your money where you want your heart to be. And so, maybe look at that. Like, where do you put your finances? That's where you want to put your heart. That's where you're actually wanting to put your affections, is wherever you put your finances. And then Matthew 19, 25, after the disciples heard Jesus say how difficult it would be for the rich to get into into heaven... It says this, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? They were like, oh man, if it's that hard for the rich to get into heaven, like what hope is there for us? In verse 26, Jesus looked at them and said, don't miss this, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So, so listen, like, Jesus is literally saying that if you If you're the rich, which there's a good chance you are, it's impossible for you to get into the kingdom of God. Like, God, save us. God, help us, is what Jesus is saying, if we have wealth in this world. But write this down. Only by the miraculous work of God can the rich be saved. So through miraculous work of God, through the Holy Spirit, we actually can come into a saving knowledge of Jesus. We actually can be saved. We actually can have hope in Christ and move our affections toward, toward, toward Him and toward loving our neighbor. Like, it actually can happen, but it can only be a miracle. So here's what you need to know. If you have finances and you're here and you love Jesus, you are a walking miracle. You're a walking miracle. And if you're here today and you have finances and it has your heart, and this has been a really hard sermon for you, Like you are very close to missing the kingdom of God. Jesus would say, be very, very careful that you wouldn't miss out on all I have for you. I was uh, flipping around on social media a few months ago and I was reading about how at, at one of these Starbucks, there was one of these like situations where somebody paid for the car behind them. Have you seen this? and it turned into like a train of generosity. One after the next, after the next. And I was reading uh, that there have been some of these trains of generosity that have gone for over a thousand cars. I was also reading the baristas hate them because it's very complicated, but anyway. It's like, hey, that guy paid for you. Do you want to pay for them? And they pay for them. But over a thousand cars where people are like, look what I've received. I want to give to the next person. Then there was this like, girl who went TikTok viral. Because she got given something and she was like, nope. She got to be like the one that stopped the fun, right? Here's her quote. She says this. She says, so you're telling me that these people were shamed and caught into this Congo line of morality and that they had to give the gesture back? I'm not that girl. I deserve to have a good day. I deserve this free sandwich, dude. You're not taking this away from me. I am the one who was helped. And I'm not helping anyone else. Man, so good. So good. So, here's the deal. In one sense, she's not all wrong. Okay? When Jesus gives you his grace, he wants nothing from you. Okay? So at the root of the gospel is that It is a free gift. And if you take anything from that free gift, you have distorted the gospel itself. You have to give nothing back to God to receive his grace. So so in one sense, what she's saying is right. Like to receive a free gift is not a bad thing. But if receiving that free gift of grace does not compel you to be generous to others, I would say that you have not fully received it. And I say this all the time, like in the church today, we have so much at our fingertips. Like the power that we could, we could wipe out global poverty with like the, the riches that we have here in the United States. Like there's so much at our fingertips. But I think the issue isn't that we have a giving problem. I believe our issue is that we have a receiving problem. That we have not yet fully received the free gift of grace in such a way that we want to give it away. See, I, I don't know what that girl thought the person before her did to pay for her meal. I think her assumption was that it didn't cost them much. So she didn't feel the need to give it away. But what if the person before her actually gave up some of their rent money? Like, what if the person before her gave up their ability to, to buy a meal that evening because, you know, they, they just, they don't have that much, but they happen to be going through Starbucks, and they're like, I want to be generous. Like, what if the person before them sacrificed so much for her to just get a free sandwich? I think had she known that, if that was the case, she might have continued on the line of generosity. You need to know this, grace is free, but it costs Jesus everything. Everything. And so when you understand the price of your own salvation, you can't help but live a life of generosity. So what's your next step today? I want to give you some options. If you want to grab your action card off your seat, I really want to encourage you to do that. Maybe for you today, you want to begin a relationship with this Jesus. Maybe you're here at church today, you're like, Brian, I don't know what to do with my finances. Like, That's a whole other story. All I know is, I don't know Jesus, and I'd like to know Jesus, and I want you to know today's your day to receive that. Like, receive his grace, get to know Jesus. He wants nothing from you wants to give you the free gift of grace. So maybe you could receive that here today. Maybe you are saying, I want to begin by returning 1% to Jesus. I use the word returning specifically because once again, everything we have is God's. All of it, every dollar. And so maybe you're like, well, I can't tithe, you know, whatever. Maybe you could intentionally make a plan. You know, how strategic are you about getting that car you want to get or that house you want to get? What if you were that strategic or more With being generous for the kingdom of God. Take some steps. So maybe you're like, maybe I'm not ready for 10. I'll I'll start with one. Encourage you to do that. Maybe you're going to start using the three jars in your house. Teaching your kids. Start with that. Like, if you're not discipling your children on your finances, trust me, the world already is. Right? TV already is. Everybody else is telling your kids what to do with their money. Maybe you need to start by discipling them in that way. And maybe maybe you're, you're here, and you're just like, Brian, I'm not ready, but I want to be. Something in my heart knows that this is good, but I'm not ready to trust God with this part of my life. And I just, I, I want so deeply for you to be set free. So I want to pray for us here today. Would you bow your heads for a moment? Jesus, thank you so much for your grace, and thank you, God, that you do love us, and God, that you do want to set us free. Father, forgive us for giving money a a position in our hearts that was meant only for you. God, we know that the freedom that we want from anxiety can't come from another dollar. It can only come from trusting you with our entire lives. God, you own all things. God, forgive us for having a scarcity mindset as if you, God, are limited some way in providing for us. You are not. God, you can always provide and will always provide. Everything you say Um, that we need. So God, I I just pray that you'd set us free, God. I I pray for anybody that's full of anxiety today, anybody that's full of frustration or baggage when it comes to church and money and their faith, God, that you just help them to heal some of that and, and separate the truth from a lie. God, more than anything, God, would you leverage all that we have for your kingdom, God, that we'd be known as a generous people. God, that people's lives would be better because you have blessed us. God, as we come into this Christmas season, we know it's a time of generosity. God, I pray it wouldn't end in December. We'd move on into January and February and March. God, that we'd be people who live lives of generosity because we have a generous God. Thank you for your grace. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.